Rabbi Chaim Mensch, welcome to my podcast, The Mensch, where every single week I talk about what's going on in the news and try to give you a perspective on how you should think to be a Mensch. As you know, there's breaking news going on right now that the president has been, uh, and his wife, Melania, have been tested positive. First and foremost, we must pray for their health, just like for anybody else, that we hope that they stay healthy, and we don't want anything to... Bad happened to him. Unfortunately, everything in this country, instead of being compassion and empathy, turns into politics. And politics is going to be taking over. Everybody's going to start saying, the president can't take care of himself. And how is he going to take care of the country? And this is going to be played up. And I still think his base is going to stick with him because they realize these things happen. On the other hand, I think a lot of other people are also going to take this coronavirus a little bit more seriously because everybody walks into that White House is tested. Now, how she was able to get past it, I don't know. It's going to have to be an investigation because how many other people have come through and been able to walk into the White House without being 100% tested? With that being said, the only thing that we can say right now on the Medj podcast is we hope and pray that he is better, and more than anything else, I hope and pray that this doesn't become a debacle, but the president is going to have to answer. If I can get it, then how are you going to protect everybody else? And everybody who's going to say, shut the schools, are just going to use this situation. This is something he's going to have to answer. What's he going to say? We'll find out. In the meantime, another October surprise. Let's find out how this will be handled. A, in the news and at the, at the voting booth. Ah, I'm stumbling over my own words because it's hard to understand that we have a president that is ill right now. God bless him and 100% may God bless America. Welcome back to The Mensch. Today, I'd love to talk about the debate. Now, we all watch the debate. Unfortunately, we all feel the same way. There's nothing to talk about. It it was totally out of hand. I mean, if children were watching this, it would be bad. But you know what the thing is? Do presidential candidates have to debate? Who said? Do you know the very first time ever? Let me give you some facts about debates. The very first time that two candidates in America went head-to-head was Senator Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln in 1858. They had seven debates all over Illinois because they were debating in seven places in front of people, and they were going to have the Senate. It was only for the Senate. It was the first time there was head-to-head debates. Now, how did it work in those days? There was no moderator. Each person was given an hour. Then after that, there was a half hour to rebuttal, and that was it. And then you went on to the next place. And you just hoped that the newspapers reported it properly, because how would you know? There was no way of hearing and seeing what was going on. But what about presidential debates? When did that ever begin? Well, what people don't know is in 1948, 
a guy by the name of Wendell Wilkie challenged Franklin D. Roosevelt, let's have a debate. And Franklin D. Roosevelt said, no, no need. So there was no, so there was already the thought, how are voters really supposed to know what each other thinks? Let's, let's start putting it together. In 1956, the University of Maryland put together the presidential candidates of each party. So Adlai Stevenson of the Demo- was a Democrat nominee. Well, he came out the winner, basically, for the Democrat Party. And then there was a radio debate between Dwight Eisenhower and Adlai Stevenson. And that was the first time two presidents actually debated each other, but it was on radio. But things changed. In 1960 was the famous debate. Now, you got to realize something. The one on the Republican side was Nixon. Richard Nixon was the vice president of Eisenhower. And he was a smart cookie. And he went and debated in 1968, in September 26, 1960, September 26. He, he went on a debate against U.S. Senator John F. Kennedy. And at the beginning of the debate, everybody recognized that Nixon was crushing, crushing Kennedy on foreign policy, on just about everything. But then all of a sudden, people started recognizing that TV is different than radio. See, Nixon is great on radio. He didn't understand TV. You see, he didn't wear a great suit. In fact, he refused makeup on his face. So here he had a set five o'clock shadow, unshaven. He looked all tired and everything. He didn't look all fresh. Whereas the young John F. Kennedy looked great. And on looks alone, everybody started realizing that JFK was behind slightly in the polls. He, for, he forged way ahead in the polls because people just liked the way he looked. And Kennedy kind of looked kind of grouchy. Who wants the president to be grouchy? And everybody in the media goes and says, that's when Nixon fell. There was never a debate since then, except for 1976. That's right. 1960 was the last presidential debate. That's right. 1964, no debate. 1968, there was no debate. 1972, there was no debate. But there was a person that took over after Nixon had to resign because of the Watergate situation. Gerald Ford was president for two years. And Jimmy Carter was a governor from Georgia. And he challenged him to a debate. And Ford said, all right, let's do it. In the very first debate, Gerald Ford made a big mistake. When asked about the communists, he went and said, there are no communists dominating Eastern Europe at the time. And all of a sudden, everybody started really existing. The president, does he know what's going on in the world? And he lost to Jimmy Carter. Everybody knows about the future debates. Reagan and Carter. And Reagan just wiped the floor. You remember the famous line? One of the sharpest lines in the debate between uh, President Reagan and his opponent, Walter Mondale, it was phenomenal when he said, I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I'm not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> and that was the most hilarious line. And the reason why it was great is because the president 
was being hammered by the press. Do you think you'll be able to handle the job? Are you going to be able to handle the job at your age? What a one-liner. What a line. And that propelled him to the presidency. And he won 49 states. It's amazing. Well, ever since then, it became a, a show for TV because now all of a sudden the, the networks want to have ratings. And today it all becomes like a packaged show. And you, now you see how many, many networks, four days, six hours, and 13 minutes until the debate. It's like a big countdown. So it's almost like a boxing match. And what happened this past week was we didn't need a debate. We really didn't need a debate. Now, these two people, I hope when they come out next time, I'm not in for muting buttons. Let the other guy talk. And if you don't like what they're saying, slam them with your facts. Because the truth. Not screaming, not calling names, not telling. I mean, I didn't like it. That the president was, you know, cutting off Biden half the time, even though he felt that it wasn't true. And on the other hand, why? How does Biden go and say to a president, "Why don't you shut up? You just don't. children should not be watching this." What has happened? It like it went to the gutter. I just hope and pray. There were times that we did not have debates. I'd rather go back to no debate if it's going to be like we just saw this past week. Why don't you two guys take a breath and be a mensch? God bless you, and God bless America. Welcome back to the mensch. And I love this segment because I always have my producers asking me and challenging me with questions. And being the holiday of Sukkot is just about to start, I'd love to hear some questions if you guys have about this holiday. So take it away, Jack. Let everybody know how this works. Hi, Rabbi. This is What Would a Mensch Do? These are quick bites asking topical questions from today's news. For the first question, Rhiannon. So before we move to, to questions, I would love to know, how would a mensch moderate the debate? If I was a moderator, this is a debate. I would not make six minutes per question. I would allow it to be 10 minutes per topic, and I would say to each candidate, you'll get your time. But when it's down to six minutes, each candidate can question the other candidate on what they said, and this way they can challenge. If you're going to do this, how are you going to answer that? And each candidate will be able to challenge. That's when they'll really be able to get their point out a lot better. So. If one candidate thinks that the other one is lying through his teeth, let him pull out a piece of paper and say, what about that? Let them do it. You don't have to have 10 topics. What you need is the top five that is really bothering the country right now. And that's the way I would do it. I'd let them talk. I would let them talk, but I'd let them know. Let the guy finish. You'll be able to go in your rebuttal. Plus, then you'll be able to ask a question directly to the candidate on what they just said. Thanks, Rabbi. Hi, Rabbi. I seem to notice that every Jewish holiday has uh, a sort of theme around it. Uh, for instance, Passover is a theme of freedom and, and Shavuot is about, you know, receiving the Torah and, and Yom Kippur represents repentance and forgiveness. So what exactly is the theme of Sukkot? Great question. 
The Torah actually goes and says two words. Zaman simchaseinu, a time to be happy. That's exactly it. God wants us for eight days to be happy. Now, many people go and ask, what does it mean, be happy? What does it mean, just be happy? Yeah, I'm happy. No. God wants that you should be recognizing the importance of happiness, working on yourself, things that get you down. Start working on it. Get rid of it. Because if you start working on it right after Yom Kippur, where you cleansed yourself, you also have family around eating in a sukkah. You have community around. So work on being happy. In fact, the number one rule of being Jewish is to be happy. A lot of people do not know that. The number one rule. So when you go on to comedies and you go like this, oh, I went to the psychiatrist, oh, I went to the store and uh, and, and the complaining, you know, and the bagels and rocks, it didn't taste fresh. Excuse me, that's comedy. Judaism is all about being happy. God wants happy people. And if you're happy, all problems, all situations, you have unbelievable energy to be able to conquer. So God gave us a holiday. It's also an agricultural holiday. We're not going to get into that. But the theme is Mansim Hussein. It's a time to be happy. Great question. Hi, Rabbi. This is a follow-up question. Why do we eat in the sukkah? Okay, that's a good question. First, God says you shall live in a sukkah for the days of sukkahs, for the entire week of sukkah. Question is, why do we eat in the sukkah in the first place? And then we'll talk about eating there. When God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, he surrounded us with protective clouds. Now, a cloud is kind of flimsy, goes in, out, top, on. So the sukkah is representing the protective clouds that we had in the desert, protecting us from the rain, from the heat, from the desert storms, from the animals and the creatures that were going on. So to remember this miracle, God says, go into this booth and eat there and, and, and enjoy and be happy. One of the things that the Torah also describes is this is the time of harvesting. When people come in and they bring in their fruits and the vegetables because it's soon becoming fall. It's becoming the fall and you got to harvest everything in. So a lot of, it also looks like a little booth that people used to have out there. Today we don't have it. But booth is out in the middle of the field. Would you take a break? It, you know, protect yourself from the sun. And this is where you would just look at your bounty and go, oh, thank you, God. So Sukkis is also to thank God for the bounty. But most of all, today, we can only celebrate, because most of us are not farmers, on the miracle that God did for us when we left Egypt. So it's a connection to Passover. So the bigger question is, why don't we do it in the spring, if that's when Passover is? So God said, I want the Jewish people to do it when it starts getting cold and rainy. So the world will go and see that the Jewish people are not doing going out of their hot homes into a cooler place for their convenience, for their comfort, just the opposite. Even when it becomes rainy and cold in Moscow, it's sometimes snow when it's in late October, the holiday. So this is, this is showing God, we thank you for the beautiful miracle you did then and that you continue doing for us today. Jack, great question. Thanks, Rabbi. And for the final question, how can someone who doesn't build a sukkah celebrate Sukkot? Well, believe it or not, Chabad has a lot of synagogues in almost every neighborhood in the world today. 
So a lot of people, what they do is they'll walk, knock on the door of the Chabad house, and they'll go and say, can I eat a meal in your home, in, in, in a sukkah? And we open the doors. But what's more beautiful is you'll watch, watch your streets. I'm building one. Just about every other Chabad house is building one. Get a truck, and we build a sukkah on top of the back of a truck, and it's beautiful, blaring music. We come to your house. People walk into the sukkah. They do the blessings. They sit down. They eat. I plan on going to many, many homes, maybe to yours also. That would be a treat. But that's how pe- that's what we do. When people can't build it themselves, we come to you. And that's a beautiful way of celebrating the holiday and making other people happy too. One of the things about the holiday of Sukkot, besides eating in one of those booths, God goes and says, we have to take four kinds of fruits and branches, bind them together, and pray with them. And it's for the prayer of the, the agriculture for next year. What are they called? It's called a lulav. It looks like a long palm branch. Then you have a myrtle. Then you have a willow. And then you have a citron. It looks like a big lemon. And these, the lemon is very hard to find a good one. Anyway, this story takes us back into the 1700s when it was snowing and the roads were really, really uh, getting filled and there was nobody coming back and forth. And Yankel and his wife, who had an inn, was very sad and his wife understood. The sukkah was up, just needed a few more things to be fixed. But he was upset. He did not get a, citr- a citron, an esrik. He did not get these four things. And usually, Shimon always comes by and brings it to him. In the meantime, his wife, Sarah, said, I'm going to the market to pick up a few things. At least we can do the mitzvah of having a beautiful meal and a sukkah tonight. While he's fixing the sukkah, while she's shopping, guess who shows up? Shimon. And he says, hey, Yanko, I got it. But quick, before the snow stops me from getting to the next town where I'm spending the holiday, here it is. And he looks at it, he goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. He pays him the rubles that it costs to have the thing, and he puts the citron on top of the table. He takes water, and he fills up a little bucket to put the plants in so they stay fresh, and he goes back to finish the sukkah. In the meantime, his wife comes home, and she puts this basket full of stuff all onto the table to start cooking. And she said, where did I get this lemon from? And he must have thrown it into the bag. You know what? I'll use it. And then after the holiday, I'll go pay him for it. So she goes and starts cooking everything. And then she decides to make some applesauce. And she slices this very expensive citron and squeezes all the juice into the, into the pot. And here all of a sudden, in walks in her husband and says, Rivkula, Rivkula, Sarla, Sarla, you don't get it. The guy showed up. He showed up. I have a little of an essence. She said, where, where? And he looked on the table through all the fruits and vegetables. said, it was right here. And he, and he goes like this. I know. I'll, I'll be able to do the mitzvah. I'll be able to do the mitzvah. So she goes, uh, she picks up a piece of the peel. Was this it? And he goes, yeah. And all of a sudden, he walks over to his wife. And gives her a hug and a kiss. He said, are you crazy? She says, you should be throwing pots and pans. You were waiting a whole few days for that. You were worried. 
You, how are you going to be able to do the mitzvah tomorrow if you don't have the citron? So Yankel says to his wife, tomorrow the Messiah could come. I'll be in Jerusalem and I'll be able to have the citron. But today I have a mitzvah. Not to be angry at my wife. I want to love you and show God that I can even do the mitzvah of not getting angry at my wife. My dear friends, around the holiday, we spend a lot of time with our families. And things happen. Remember, the number one beautiful mitzvah you can always do is the people around you. Show them some love. Don't get angry. And that's the way to be a mensch over the joyous, happy holiday of Sukkot. Don't make anybody upset. May you all have a wonderful Sukkot. May each and every one of us hope that the president is healthy. May each and every one of us go and pray that the next debate will have a lot more substance and won't have all this quarreling. But most of all, during the next week, go out there, make the right decisions. you got to live your life as a mensch. God bless you all. God bless America. And have a happy holiday.